Okay, normally we have fun on this podcast. We laugh, we joke, but today a serious topic. We're talking about the experience of a man who lives near a Burger King drive-thru at 34th Street and Nicolette Avenue in South Minneapolis. He thought with the help of zoning regulations and poor business practices that this nightmare had come to an end, that it had been closed for good, but the case remains unsettled. He's suing the city. That man, Adam Weisable, joins me now. Uh, welcome to the show, Adam, and I'm sorry if you've had to go through this. We're rolling! We're rolling! This is a real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. Today. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now. Well, appreciate it. Thanks, John, for having me. You know, I've been a follower and a fan for some time, so it's kind of a treat to be joining you on this podcast. Thank you. We should begin about talking about the experience of living near a Burger King drive-thru or any drive-thru. So, uh, obviously, you you were unhappy with it. Uh, tell tell us about the experience of living near that Burger King drive through. Yeah, so you know, I'll note um, I I bought my house uh, in the Lindell neighborhood right across the street from the Burger King in 2017. So at that point, it was still open, it was running. So I bought and moved into my house, like knowing that there was this non-conforming use, this drive through across the street. And, you know, to be fair, it gave me some pause. Like, is this really the house I want to buy? Do I really want to live across the street from a drive through um, But for all sorts of different reasons, I'm like, yeah, I still want to take this risk. Real estate's kind of a gamble and risk, right? But there's so much upside that I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to move in. Um, so I, I kind of appreciate it that there's going to be some, you know, unkind or, you know, deli- you know just effects of a drive-through that you know impair your quality of life right like so uh, you, like a loud like a loud drive-through intercom or trash exactly or exactly lots so of cars it's, swirling it's it was really the intercom and the sign that were the primary you know annoyances so like for instance if it's a summer day i have my bedroom window open in the evening you can hear every word that's coming through that that intercom and that sign, you know, would be illuminated until like 10 in the evening. And it was very bright, you know, it's like shining into your house and you've got the cars queuing up, you know, especially in the evening on a summer day, you know, got the windows down, music's coming out. So it's just kind of, uh, it's obnoxious. It's not something that like, obviously I couldn't live with because like I said, I bought my house before. Um, but my issues have been more about you know, compliance with the actual law, then it is really the aggravation of, of like living across the street from a drive through right? So, right. you know, that that's kind of the bigger issue to me. It just, it's, it just so happens that it's applied to this Burger King drive through and there's kind of like this levity to it. It's, 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 it's amusing, right? You kind of got to accept there's like a humorous quality about this, right? Yeah. So let's talk about non-conforming use. I think a lot of people might assume, well, this is all about the city banning drive-throughs. But the fact is, 
zoning says you couldn't put a new drive through in that place regardless of the city's drive through ban it had already been it was already the case that you couldn't put a drive through there it just had been grandfathered in and that when we talk about a non-conforming use that's what we mean right exactly so i think this is a perfect opportunity to talk about what a non-conforming use is what minnesota law is and the minneapolis twist on that um because these like, concepts and terms are going to be really important as we go forward through this like, conversation to talk about the timeline and all the events that have happened because there's there's a lot so you're right like a non-conforming use is simply something that doesn't conform with the contemporary zoning code and how a non-conforming use usually comes about there's different ways but like the classic example is when you established it it was permitted under the zoning code and then there was a change and you would no longer be able to establish that today but because you did it when you were allowed to you have this non-conforming right right and you brought up a classic example when we were talking about the 2040 debate, right? How decades ago, there was all this downzoning in Minneapolis neighborhoods really applied to residential dwellings. And the result of that was a lot of these apartment buildings in neighborhoods like Whittier, where I used to live or Wedge, you know, they became non-conforming uses. They are grandfathered in. And so um, the law doesn't care about like our subjective feelings about whether like the use is good or not, right? Like you and I might think, hey, these non-conforming apartment buildings in Wedge and Whittier are great. They're like contributing to the neighborhood. They're like still in conformity now with like contemporary policies. Um, but like we say, those are good things. Um, but in a case of like a non-conforming drive-through, you know, I would say that's, you know, an undesirable type of land use, especially considering all the things that Minneapolis has been doing. But, you know, for for the Burger King across the street for me, um, that was built in 1964, so a long time ago. And the zoning for this property actually changed in 1999. Um, so hmm. it's been a non-conforming use for some time. Um, you know, this issue is also related to a Burger King in North Minneapolis at 818 Broadway. I'm not sure when that became a non-conforming use, but there is it the same tied, owner tied up in the same issue. Yes. So so um, these two Minneapolis Burger Kings, the one by me in South, the one in North operated by the same folks who i forget the exact number but they had like seven stores in minnesota most of them i believe were in the metro area i think one was in st cloud um and so you know we're digressing a little bit but let's get back to like non-conforming use so like we kind of talked about what it is i think like people know now like hey it's it's just doesn't conform with the current zoning but how minnesota law um approaches the loss of non-conforming rights is like, worthy of discussion so Back in the day, before there was this awesome statute that the Minnesota legislator passed, it was a difficult question to resolve of like, when exactly do you lose these non-conforming rights? You know, you know that once it's established, you're able to continue using it basically indefinitely as long as you're using it. But once you stop using it, that's when your rights are at risk. And so back in the day, um, Basically, to lose those rights, you had to intend to give them up. You had to intend to abandon them. Now, that's a very favorable, deferential standard for a property owner, right? Like, if you hadn't been using a non-conforming use for a decade and, you know, the city wants to do something else, well, they couldn't because you could just say, well, I was intending to use it at some point. You know, the fact I wasn't for the past 10 years, eh, irrelevant. Right. 
So you could leave your um, fast food restaurant vacant for 10 <laughs> years and it, it, come back exactly. and decide it's a new fast food restaurant. Right. I, and of actually, course, actually, you know, I'm the host and I get to decide what is on or off topic. And I want to talk about why the BK closed. It, they just yes. uh, like went out of business, bad, bad financial no. times for this particular franchise owner. No, 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 no. So this is where some of the drama comes into play. So in 2016, the prior um, operators, the franchisees filed for bankruptcy on a voluntary basis. And the objective at that point was to just like do a reorganization, restructure, get the business in order so they could continue operating. Right. Well, the trustee in court uncovered some shenanigans um, that they were committing fraud and had filed for bankruptcy as part of this fraudulent scheme to cover up their shenanigans. Mm. And that's when the bankruptcy was converted from voluntary to involuntary in about the spring of 2018. Um, As kind of a fallout of that, Burger King actually asked the bankruptcy court to terminate the lease. Burger King is not the actual owner. They're a long-term lessee of the, at least the nickel location. Um, and so Burger King terminated that lease and franchise agreement and took back possession of the premises in April of 2018. So that's that's why they closed and it was very abrupt. All right. And um, people like were speculating at the time, like what's going on. I, I remember um, seeing a post on next door. Someone's like, oh, well, it was a health code violation. So they got shut down for a little bit, which honestly wouldn't have surprised me because this was not like a well-kept up location. It didn't seem well run. So when someone said that, I'm like, well, that, that would make some sense to me. Um, but the reason I know the story is, is when it did close, um, Google was my friend. I started Googling. I find out that there was this bankruptcy. I create a Pacer account. You're probably familiar with Pacer. Um, and then I'm just reading these bankruptcy proceedings going all the way back to 2016. And I'm like, well, this is quite the, scandalous story of how these um you know burger kings came came to close um so that's kind of the story of of the closure burger king the corporation owns the the building and the land right no they're they're not the landowners at least of uh 3342 um there's uh, it's like a an loc or some sort of entity that you really can't um discern who the like real individual is i i know an like a named person because they um, are, are identified on some of the administrative legal stuff that has happened. But like ostensibly Burger King is the controlling entity, okay. right? Like they have a long-term lease. They've been wanting to um, operate a Burger King franchise on this location. So like they're really in the driver's seat. Right. They're the ones who want to bring the restaurant back into operation, right? Correct. Correct. People don't realize that uh, even before the city's drive-through ban, some some very large, significant percentage of land in Minneapolis simply was not. It wasn't legal to open a, a new drive-through business on that land. So people made a lot of a big deal out of the ban. But the truth is, it was just standardizing across the city what had already been the case for the vast majority of the city. Exactly. And like, I don't know the percentage, but you're going from like a 95% ban to like a 100% ban, right? So right. kind of ridiculous. So how long does the restaurant have? To, so the restaurant closed when and then when did they try to start? When did they seek permission from the city to, to reopen it? 
Okay, so this gets like blending with the lies and what they did a little bit. So I think it's important to like identify what the rule is to lose non-conforming rights before I answer that. And so in Minnesota, there's a statute that says one year of non-use of a non-conforming use results in loss of rights. And it uses legal language, but what it says is if there's discontinuance for one continuous year, the rights shall be deemed abandoned, and then any subsequent use shall conform with the contemporary standards. And so because it was closed from April 2018 to April 2019, that factual condition was satisfied, non-use of one year, therefore rights are lost. Now, coincidentally, in May of 2019, so like one month after those rights had been extinguished, Burger King approaches the city you know, planning department um, to talk about reopening. Now, here's the thing. When they approached to have that conversation, they didn't know that the Burger King was a non-conforming drive through even though it had been since 1999. And they didn't realize that if it wasn't in use for a period of one year, those rights would be lost. So you would think that would be the end of it. Under state law, it would be. But here's the Minneapolis twist. Minneapolis decided to codify state law, but then add this rebuttal provision. And what that rebuttal provision says is, hey, if there's been this legal conclusion of abandonment and loss of rights, you can try to overcome that by proving with uh, clear and convincing evidence that the reason for discontinuance for one year were due to circumstances beyond your control. So it's a lot there, but it's a high a standard of proof, you know, clear and convincing evidence is more than a civil case, but less than a criminal. And circumstances beyond your control, like kind of speaks to what was in your way and how did you try to overcome them? And were you like basically frustrated from resuming that use before it was abandoned? So because uh, Minneapolis allows this rebuttal provision, that's what Burger King did in about December of 2019. So after the city advised them of what they should have known for like 20 years that they had a non-conforming use, um, they decided to try to argue the rebuttal of abandonment. And what they tried, what they relied principally on was the fact that there was equipment that was left behind in the premises and that equipment prevented them from reopening, even though they didn't know that they needed to reopen within a year. If that makes sense what, to you, it doesn't to me. What? what? What kind of equipment was left behind? Like some, um, like I think, kind of the cooking equipment, like the fixtures, and that was that prevented that was them from argument. reopening. That's what they say. How does uh, that was the argument? Fast food restaurant equipment left behind prevent you from reopening a fast food restaurant? Well, you get uh, an affidavit from someone saying it did, and then you present that to decision makers and hope they buy it. Um, was it because it belonged to the previous operator? So there, there was an, a debt tied to it um, that the trustee was trying to resolve, to my understanding. Um, but here's the thing. I, it's I like, imagine you, if a big corporation wants you to get your shit out of their building, they, they have ways, <laughs> they have well, ways they, to do Well, they that. do. And so Burger King like tried to blame the trustee. It's like, oh, the trustee didn't, you know, wasn't cooperating with us. Well, here's right. the thing. Again, they didn't know what they needed to do within a year, but um, they could Burger King could have petitioned the court 
to overrule any objections that the trustee had. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, had they known that they had this non-conforming yeah. right, and had they known that they needed to reopen within a year, and the trustee was like really being like an a-hole and not letting them do this, they sh- they would have gone, you know, to the right. bankruptcy it's an, court. It's an argument you can and make no in court. We have this requirement placed on us, and it's a huge deal if we don't meet it. So look exactly. kindly upon our argument. The city um, didn't buy their argument. Like, I think they were as, as skeptical as, as you appear to be of like, really, like, really equipment left behind in the store stopped you from reopening doesn't really seem all that credible. And it seems more, you know, post hoc after the fact rationale to get you out of a, a nasty situation. So the staff actually recommended denying, um, denying their request and, uh, that then went to the zone of boarding board of adjustment, uh, zoning board of adjustment. Let's get it correct. Let's pay some respect to, uh, our volunteer board members of the zoning board of adjustment. Who I really like, actually, they are, they are great because they, um, accepted the staff's recommendations when even further, they were, they were very inquisitive. Um, you could sense, um, it was quite palpable that, they were quite suspicious of the argument that Burger King was presenting. And this was in a, a hearing in December of, of 2019. Um, you know, I wasn't sure what their attitudes would be. Um, you know, so I went in there completely blind to what I would be hearing. And, you know, as I heard their line of questioning um, and I heard a very impassioned speech by one board member leading up to the vote, I could kind of tell that the board was not buying what they were being fed yeah. and was going to vote no, which they did. But then Norm- normally they're dealing with like fence heights and somebody <laughs> parked an RV in their backyard. So to get, to get a really exciting Burger King case, I imagine uh, whoever made that impassioned speech thought this is my Perry Mason moment or something. I don't, I don't know if Perry Mason references are too, uh, you know, am I allowed I, to do that. I don't, I, honestly, I don't even get the reference, but like the impassioned oh, okay. speech was pretty cool. And it's really unfortunate that these um, board hearings aren't recorded or televised. And I don't even think there's a transcript. So it's like oh. just my recollection of this phenomenal speech from a board member that really took Burger King to task for their ignorance of the law. It was yeah. really cool to watch, but... Pre-COVID, we didn't have these meetings of the obscure boards and commissions broadcast and recorded, which is something I I hope as we come out of COVID that we can start recording all of these very important and sometimes consequential meetings. Sometimes things that happen at the uh, Zoning Board of Adjustment do really matter. You have Burger King coming through. Okay, so after the Zoning Board of Adjustment comes to the rescue and... You think you think you're going to live a life free of this Burger King, this non-conforming Burger King drive-through, but then something changes. What, what happened? So Burger King then appeals. So decisions from this board are appealable to the zoning and planning committee. Um, and you know, I sort of expected Burger King to appeal, but I did not expect the zoning and planning committee to overturn. And the reason for that is, you know, the staff was against it. They were recommending denial. Uh, the board had, you know, voted unanimously to reject it. And I look at 
the membership of of the planning committee and you know cam gordon was on it lisa bender was on right. it, jeremiah allison i'm like well cam and lisa are you know been leading efforts to transform our policies around you know land use and housing and zoning and specifically drive-throughs like this is the city council that banned drive-through citywide Absolutely. staff is recommending this drive-through doesn't get to open says staff it's it's not in compliance with the law it's been vacant for and unused for too long and the city council that goes on to ban drive-throughs decides to side with burger king uh, and their appeal it's kind of weird. It's weird to me. Um, and I've, I've really struggled for a long time to like try to understand how that decision was made. Um, you know, we talked a little bit before about Burger King's ignorance of the law. Like you don't know that you have a non-conforming use and that, you know, one year of non-use results in abandonment. Like to me, that's a hugely important factor. And the way I try to make that point is by presenting like this hypothetical question. Like, it's as follows. So like had Burger King known that they had a non-conforming use and that one year of non-use results in abandonment, would they have, would they had done everything the same way? And I just don't think they would have. Um, but nonetheless, the zoning and planning committee granted the appeal. And today actually news, um, I got, uh, contents from a public data request back. Um, I had found out that a former council member, uh, was a registered lobbyist for Burger King and became a registered lobbyist for Burger King right around the same time that this appeal was happening. Um, you know, I didn't know about that really um, when the appeal was going on back, you know, this was February of 2020. I, I didn't realize that. This is something I learned like within the last six to eight months. Um, so anyways, as of today, I got the contents back and for sure, this former council member, Jackie Cherry Holmes, was soliciting- Former council president, right? I believe so, was soliciting meetings from members on that committee um, and other council members to, to talk about this as it was going to appeal. Um, you know, I have very good news to report that um, our friend Lisa Goodman rejected that meeting. And I was like, asked, like, mm. hey, this is, this is about the drive through stuff. No, I can't talk to you about that. And I was like, yes. And reason why I'm shouting out to Lisa Goodman, which I know you have some differences with, she was the only person on the city council to vote no. She was on the zoning and planning committee, voted yes. Okay. But then I sent a letter to the whole council laying out my argument, my point of view, my perspective, hoping that they would, um, you know, not affirm the zoning and planning decision. And unfortunately, all 12 of them except Lisa Goodman voted yes. And then I said- only, only Lisa Goodman is honorable enough to reject a Burger King drive-thru. This is sound of something Lisa Goodman didn't tell to Jackie Cherry Holmes when she asked for a meeting about the Burger King drive-thru. I've got plenty of time. I have nothing else going on today. She didn't tell her that. That's what she normally nope. says. But she, <clears throat> no time for Jackie Cherry Holmes. So um, that appeal is granted. And then I sue. So I sued very quickly after um, the decision became effective. So like technically, um, like zoning and planning committee recommends something. City council adopts it. The mayor has a chance to veto. Um, I asked the mayor to veto it. He didn't veto it. He didn't respond to me, which un understand. It'd be a weird I'm, thing I'm for the like mayor to step in and veto. Uh, uh, <laughs> I haven't vetoed anything so far this term, but there's this burking issue. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm it would be veto. weird, but like I thought I made a good point and it would have prevented. Right. I mean, you lawsuit, were correct. But... It's just 
it's a big step for the mayor to veto something. Yeah. I don't know if the, his first veto, he wants it to be about a Burger King. <laughs> he makes some news and makes some friends, but yeah, he didn't right. do that, regrettably. Um, so yeah, I filed my lawsuit in February of 2020. Um, and then it gets resolved in October of 2020. I lose. Um, it sucks to lose a lawsuit. Cities do get a lot of deference in these types of decisions in quasi-judicial adjudications. Um, and because Although there was the 2040, the 2040 lawsuit is still kicking around, right? I don't, I don't you know. Deep the enough pockets. You could, you could keep this lawsuit going for years if you wanted to, if you had deep yeah, enough pockets or you can play the appeals lawyers. game. And I think that one like got appealed and then got kicked down to the district court. And I, I don't know where that 2040 lawsuit is. It's yes, an endless but... cycle. It's an endless yes. cycle. We're never going to have a final decision. We're going to be through the 10 year plan period before that thing gets resolved. Probably not really, so but I decided not to play those games and kind of was willing to accept my loss. You know, in some ways I, I still regret not appealing because I think I would have had a better shake at the court of appeals. I think they would have been willing to entertain my arguments. You know, I can understand, you know, district courts, you're busy. Um, if there's an easy out that you can take, like you can take it and you can rely on the deference that, you know, city decision makers have. And so that's kind of my perception. Maybe I'm wrong. Just my opinion and thoughts about how the court like approached my case. Um, so anyways, I lose. It sucks. Um, but I was like willing to let it go and let Burger King have the opportunity that they fought really hard for. To, to get back. They got their rights back and, you know, they told the zoning and planning committee that they were going to remodel these stores. It would take about three months to reopen, um, you know, and so I kind of expected after my lawsuit ended that these suckers would be open very quickly. Um, right. When did your lawsuit end? So that was October of 2020. October 14th was when judgment was entered against me. So, yeah. And then they're not back. And then they're not back. So remember what the law is, one year of non-use equals abandonment. So now as of October, you know, 2021, um, a few months ago, in my opinion, they have now lost the rights. That they did they, it again. They did, they it, did it, again. it again. They did it again. <laughs> and it blows my mind that they are in this predicament again. They could have prevented it by freaking reopening. These well, they stores. beat you in court, so the lesson they learned is this law just it does not apply to us. We're above the law. Yeah, well, <laughs> so here's the thing. So I lost my first lawsuit, but I actually filed another kind of lawsuit, petition for writ of mandamus. So I filed that in uh, November against the city to try to force this outcome because I had started uncovering stuff through public data requests and other public hearings on land use issues involving nonconformities that the city, to my perspective, was not applying Minnesota law correctly and um, reading into the law discretion that does not exist. So let me try to explain. Um, so in April of 2021, um, you actually tweeted out hey, there's a U.S. bank proposal on Lake Street that's going before the planning commission that used to be a Tim Hortons. 
And um, I remember seeing that tweet and someone had commented, oh, I thought there was a drive-thru ban. How are they, you know, allowed to open drive-thrus? That caught my attention. I'm like, ooh, drive-thru stuff? Like, out of curiosity, I, I look into it. And I expected to, like, read that staff report and see some discussion of the entitlements to the drive-thru, and it didn't. And so I emailed the planning person. I'm like, hey, you know, could you like, help clarify this for me? It seems like... These Tim Hortons were closed, you know, more than a year ago. There's been more than one year of non-use under the law. These rights are lost. You know, how have they been preserved? Did the applicant rebut abandonment? Did they already go through that process? And I was told the city decided to not presume abandonment because the applicant was working with us. And so I'm like, well, that's what the law says. You don't get to decide, like, if, if there's been non-use for a year, there's a legal conclusion. There's no discretion to not presume abandonment. So I asked to clarify, like, where are you getting this from? Um, is there, you know, some, some sort of like interpretive guidance, something you can point me to to help me understand why the city believes that it cannot presume abandonment? So I don't get a response. And so that's before the hearing. So then I email my council member. I'm like, you know, I think something is wrong here. This seems off. I'm trying to elevate this concern. Can you look into this? Can someone look into this? Because it seems clear what the law is and it's not being followed. So I don't get a response. So then I email Lisa Goodman, um, who responds to me very quickly. Um, and is like, the hey, only, sorry. The only honorable member of the city council. I, you know, for what people say about her, I think she's great, you know, in my opinion. But um, so she responds to me and it's like, hey, sorry that, you know, you didn't get a response. You deserve to be heard. I've got my own problems in my ward, but I at least can forward your concerns to the city attorney's office. So she did. So city attorney replies to me, hey, the applicants for that U.S. banker, they'll, you know, prepared, they'll be prepared to address the issue at the hearing. I'm like, great, wonderful. Hope we all have, like, be educated of maybe something I don't know. Um, so I kind of expected some sort of conversation. Now, I was also super snarky at that point. And I'm like, hey, just so, you, just so you're aware... You know, um, I live across the street from a non-conforming use. It's now been six months since I lost my lawsuit. It would be unfortunate if I had to exercise my legal rights down the road. And, you know, at that point, I, I started to think, what has the city been telling Burger King? Have they been advising that, you know, you can keep your rights forever? Do you have a year? Like, what, what are they being told? So I started to get upset. So then I dial into that um, planning commission meeting for that U.S. bank listen to the whole, you know, spiel. No one's discussing the non-conforming use or entitlements. And so once it gets to public input, I, you know, ask a question. I'm like, can someone identify for the record, like what the date was, what the date was when the use ceased, like when that drive-through closed. And from that date, had there been one continuous year of non-use? No response was given. And the city planner just reiterated what was told in email Oh, the, you know, applicant was working with us, so we decided to not presume abandonment. All right, that's obnoxious. It's not what the law is. So I kind of fester on that, don't know what to do. Then I end up getting a public data request back from the city that I submitted to learn what like might be happening with the Burger King. Um, so I submitted that around, I think, March, right? before I, I found out about the U.S. Bank thing. I was just curious, you know, because it had been a while. Like I said, I, I thought that they would, you know, reopen quickly or at least like 
pull permits and start demo or like, you know, notable signs of, of progress that they're working towards reopening. Um, so once I get that public data request back, that was like end of June of uh, 2021. Um, and I'm like skimming through it and I immediately see things that were very concerning to me. So back in November of, uh, you know, right after I lost my lawsuit, so November 2020, staff are discussing between themselves, well, when, when would this right extinguish now that they've gotten it back? And they decided two things, which I think are just so faulty. One of them is that they were going to consider marketing the vacant building. So Burger King marketing that building for others to use as use. And right. that they could preserve their entitlements in perpetuity forever as long as they're to make a profit on them. actively marketing it, even though it's not yeah, being You want used. to put in a coffee drive-through. You can have a coffee drive-through where, where you live and never be able to drive uh, through the intersection because it's blocked by uh, you know hundreds of cars I mean, waiting to get into a coffee drive-through or something. A coffee shop would obviously, I think, be worse than like you know Burger King or McDonald's because I think they do right. invite more traffic. But nonetheless, I read these statements and it just seemed so detached from what the law is, it upset me. Um, so I emailed you know, some of the planning folks and, you know, had a little back and forth about their interpretation and did not answer my questions. I'm like, here you have very clear law. One year non-use, you lose your rights. Like, can, and I was just begging for an explanation. Like, just please, like, walk me through your understanding. And I kept getting different responses and they sometimes contradicted with each other. So I decided to send a letter to the city attorney in July of last year outlining all my concerns, like what I saw at, you know, with respect to the U.S. Bank on Lake Street, what I saw in my public uh, data request, what my understanding of the law is. And I asked for demand. I'm like, I want you guys to notify Burger King now that it's July, you know, we're like seven months into this, you know, one year period or whatever they're about. Um, you know, you need to tell them that if one year goes by since the end of my lawsuit, which is when you got your rights back, that, you know, the statute will be satisfied and, and you'll lose, lose your rights again. You know, that's that's what I was hoping to get um, from that letter. Now, I didn't get a response. So that was July. You know, I thought I like presented a, a genuine uh, inquiry and ask, like, I know sometimes maybe they get like stuff from all sorts of different people and they're making all sorts of crazy demands. But, you know, sincerely, I think I was asking like genuine questions about how you're interpreting a really important statute that has like profound consequences on what's happening in Minneapolis. Right. So it was annoying that, you know, I, I didn't even get a response. Um, so that led me over the summer to kind of contemplate what my legal options may be thought about suing, you know, in July or in August and decided, you know, to just wait until there was a full one year, send another demand saying, hey, it's been a year, you lost your rights, please inform these folks about that. Um, unfortunately, that demand didn't get answered. And so I ended up filing this petition for writ of mandamus, which, you know, I believe is the reason why Burger King is now going back before the board of uh, zoning board of adjustment. Um, and the reason why I think that is um, literally the day that my petition was um, accepted in the court filing system, I finally got a response from the zoning administrator saying, we have always followed the law. 
Um, and in the case of the Burger King, you know, the city council made their decision in February 2020. So, you know, under Minneapolis zoning code, decisions are generally valid for not more than two years. And so the implication is they had until February 2022 to reopen. Now, that's not accurate, but that's the response I got. A new circumstance has been created by the uh, the disuse, the alleged disuse. Yeah. Right? So what we were talking earlier about uh, how there's some intent involved. The law says, uh, talks about showing intent to reopen. Is that the, is that accurate? No. The, well, you're accurate if we're talking historically speaking. So in the past, before there was this wonderful Minnesota statute, normally um, to abandon or lose rights to non-conforming use or structure, you had to intend to abandon it. That's no longer the case. But Burger King argued that, you know, intent was an important factor. Their attorney kind of oh, cherry picked language King's from a case. Yeah, Burger King was like really focusing on during their first appeal of, you know, they were trying to suggest that the law was such that as long as you had an intent um, to continue that you can't abandon your rights, which is just not how it works today. In the past, that was the case. So so is it just the case that any fast food restaurant closed for a year, do you think you've lost your rights? Any non-conforming fast food That's drive-thru? how it should be. And it doesn't matter what the non-conforming use or structure is. If it's not used for a continuous one-year period, the right is lost. And some people might well, think... Let's say, for example, harsh. they're like rehabbing the interior uh, of the store so, for a period of time. Does that count as being used? I, this, I wonder. This is where it gets interesting. And this is where I think there's genuine questions, like legal questions, and, and I don't think there's a perfectly clear answer. So we know if you're literally not using it, you know, and it, that goes on a year, it's a clear cut answer. You've lost your rights. What if... It's been 360 days and you start construction, but it's not open and you're not using that drive through. Right. Is that real use? I don't think so. What if you start on day what, what one? If you're, what if you spend 365 days, abandon your restaurant, but you've been marketing it for sale to a real estate developer for, for the full year? Are you, are you using it? You're not using it. There's actually been Minnesota legal decision, court decisions that have interpreted this type of statute and have um, applied the plain language meaning. They even like will pull out like Webster's dictionary and be like, use is use. You're either like literally using it physically, tangibly, like using that structure, taking advantage of the drive-through, you know, so, so marketing a vacant building would not be use under the plain language meaning of, of the law and how courts have interpreted it. Here's another one. What if the, uh, the restaurant decides we're going to use our drive through. This is actually a real world case. There's a bank drive through near me where one of the lanes they just use is like employee parking. It's, it's not both lanes. So I guess the drive through is technically still being used, but what if they just stopped using the drive through, but the restaurant went on functioning as a normal restaurant and then, after a year or two, they decide, well, we want to start using the drive-through again. Could a could a wily neighbor like you decide they're going to sue to keep them from 
reopening their drive-thru? Well, how would you interpret that? The Wiley neighbors should not have to sue because the city should enforce the law as it's written and not allow that to reopen. And yes, in that case, if that drive-thru has not been in use for continuous one-year period, those rights are lost. That's the end of it. They could try the rebuttal argument, but I don't think they'd have a strong argument if they were repurposing that drive-through for a different benefit, you know, so I think that would be a pretty clear and easy decision um, for the city to make. And I would expect that they would, you know, enforce the, the plain language of the law, especially after my my petition, which, you know, has not been kicked out of the courts, it's still open. And uh, I have reason to believe that the city has come around to, I guess, <laughs> see my perspective and agree with me to some to some respect um but i haven't We've got received a, new, a lot of communication from them have got a new city council eh, so. makes me nervous um a more drive-through friendly city council i don't know the politics around drive-throughs are weird because i don't think anyone actually wants to live near one but it's become this very culture war you want to take my car away kind of stand-in issue or even though no, I don't think anyone wants to live near a drive-through. People will complain about the drive-through ban, and I don't. It feels it feels like a stand-in for other other issues. Really, I I don't feel like it's sincere because if you well, turn around on them and say, "Hey, let's put one, let's put one on your block, let's put one behind your house." I mean, I would love to see some of like the the data or data and map nerds on Twitter like do some sort of overlay of where the drive-throughs are in Minneapolis and kind of compare that to other interesting tidbits. You know, where like maybe redlining was. You know, I bet most of these drive-throughs you know are on commercial you know, transit corridors and neighborhoods with lower property values, right? Like how many drive-throughs yeah. are in Linden Hills, right? I can't. And the All biggest, right. the biggest complainers tend to come from wealthier, whiter part, more conservative, or I think we're supposed to say moderate parts of the city, uh, where just as a matter of zoning, they weren't allowed even previous to the ban. But uh, we're digressing into drive-through politics. <laughs> where where do we stand now <sighs> with uh, this thirty-fourth and Nicolette? Burger King drive-through. Well, what is yes. the process going forward? And the Broadway location. So they're both they're both looped in this uh, together. So we got two opportunities here to prevent these drive-throughs from reopening, with the hope and expectation that they will be redeveloped. Um, so right now, um, the applicants so of Burger King has submitted the formal request with the planning people to try to rebut abandonment. It hasn't been um, like completely reviewed yet, but I've been in contact with the assigned city planner and have been advised that they're hoping to bring that to the uh, February 17th meeting, I believe, of the board um, to make a decision. Um, you know, I through my one of my public requests, the ones I got today, I um, picked up on the argument that Burger King is going to make. Um, so they will be trying to rebut abandonment by arguing that they encountered supply chain issues and couldn't obtain oh, a contractor um, in time to rebuild. Now, I'll note that they didn't raise this with the city until October of last year. So, like, you know, kind of interesting that once their rights are basically going to be lost, they're like, oh, we're having supply right. chain issues. However, you know, you know, I'm 
I'm on this. You know, I'm I am obsessed about this freaking Burger King and holding the city accountable. So I have already been, you know, Googling like a madman and have found multiple Burger Kings throughout the country that have been remodeled or opened during the pandemic. Constructed. Including one, (laughs) including one recently that was built in 72 days. And so I'm like, you know, here's all these examples of all these other Burger Kings that were able to be built or remodeled or like the process started. And you're telling me that this franchisee who's like literally, they have like over 160 stores one of the largest, you know, franchisees in the country, they're not able to do what all these other smaller players were able to accomplish. Like it just yeah. doesn't the, make the much Arby's sense. On Lake Street, the Arby's on Lake Street that was burned down uh, in the summer of 2020, it was replaced remarkably quickly by, uh, I think, a Raising Canes. And it's smart because so, um, yeah. that actually brings another topic. So, when a non-conforming use or structure is burned down like that or destroyed, it's slightly different rule. So in the case of um, a non-conformity that's destroyed, and there were several examples of that during the unrest, there's a different rule. And that rule is you have to apply for building permits within 180 days of that loss. Um, and so that loss has to be like at least a 50% you know, destruction, I think, is the rule. Really? It's that strict? It's that strict. It's so strict. And, um, so that's the rule. And so I and think that's in like, that case, a, that's like, you've been victim, you're a victim of circumstance. It's nothing you intended to do. You had right. your, your building burned down. You think it would be the opposite. Arson or, or if your building just burns. You think you would have a year or more to do that. And maybe you should have right. a shorter time if it's just like a garden variety non-use, right? So yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a harsh six-month turnaround, especially during that time frame when it was just volatile and people may not have realized it. Now, ignorance of the law is never a good excuse, but you know, maybe there's some more sympathy, of course, involved when your building got burned down, right? Then you're just a dumbass and and, and here we are negligent. with this burger king they've done they've done it <clears throat> twice uh by choice and a bunch of businesses that got burned down have rebuilt very quickly because of this this uh time restriction the city has you got to follow the law and you got to know what the law is especially when you're a sophisticated business entity like it's just no there's really no excuse right like these these folks should really know what they're dealing with and take every measure to really protect their rights, right? That's that's what this is kind of about as well. Do you think this is stealing a page from the NIMBY playbook? Like it's a, it's a <laughs> cliche at this point. Uh, some building project goes against a handful of neighbors and they sue. Uh, and the 2040 plan lawsuit, as we talked about, is still winding its way through the courts back and forth from one court to another with no end in sight. Have you acquired any wisdom about how to use the NIMBY playbook to do good in the world? Because to be honest, there's, there's a lot of lawsuits out there. Those uh, folks from the bad guys, how do the good guys use it? Good guys got to start playing these games too. You know, uh, I'm not a fan of unnecessary litigation. You know, I, I don't think you should sue unless you genuinely believe that you have a good argument. Um, but that said, I, I don't think 
activists in the community should be afraid to flexing that muscle because I have learned that the only way that you often receive a response is by filing something with the court. You know, I was desperately trying to just get understanding and know what was going on. Like, what is your interpretation of the law from like April through October of last year? And I didn't get really anything until literally I sued. So that's my lesson that you got to be aggressive. You got to kind of play hardball and you can't be intimidated by maybe being perceived as a little loony or extreme because I think the the stakes are pretty high, right? You know, right. I, I'm a climate first voter. You know, I have a lot of concerns. And that's one of the reasons, you know, why I have been so invested and passionate about this. Like, yes, it's just one, two drive throughs, but, you know, everything kind of kind of matters and it's kind of precedent setting and hopefully um, getting the city to realize that you've got this powerful tool. You got this law that addresses when non-conforming rights are lost and it's strict. Use it. Take advantage of it because it can eliminate these undesirable uses, hopefully quicker than it otherwise would be. And to help us realize a lot of the good policies that, you know, former city council had had passed. The difficult thing is how, like, do you have a lawyer involved? Are you a lawyer? You're not a lawyer, right? Oh, God, I am a lawyer. So I should have started this whole podcast. Oh, you are a lawyer. I'm a licensed attorney in the state of Minnesota. Everything that I've said on this program are my own views and my own opinions. I'm not providing legal advice. Um, I don't do private practice. I've, I've, I've never represented individual clients. I work for a software company. You know, for the last couple of years, I've been like working with development teams to understand employment law. Now I do review of um, third party, you know, vendor contracts. I, I'm not a real estate zoning lawyer. Everything that I've talked about on the show have been things that I've learned through my own independent research. But of course, you know, I went to law school. I'm a licensed attorney. You know, I have some, I guess, skills and ability to kind of interpret case law and kind of piece this puzzle together and kind of have an understanding, I think a pretty firm understanding of of what the law is in in Minnesota and how it should be applied. But yeah. So it's, it's, it takes some expertise. Uh, you can obviously do this yourself, but a, norm, a normal person is going to need some somebody to come in and help them do this. Yeah, yeah. Because even even with my law degree, I had never, you know, filed a lawsuit. Like when I, I when I was a student, I worked at a, at a law firm as a clerk and would like draft a complaint or draft court proceedings. But I never developed a whole like case and was in charge of arguing motions and all this stuff. So even with my like background, it was a learning experience. I probably did things that weren't like the best. Um, but yeah, you need um, that expertise to help facilitate this. But, you know, I, I, I know there's a, you know, some advocacy groups out there and sometimes ability to connect to pro bono attorneys um, so maybe that's something like a lesson to learn, you know, going forward is that kind of building out that network of people who can really jump in and advocate, um, you know, forceful either to commissions and if need be to, to bring things to the court. Yeah, we need, uh, we need some kind of, cause I've been thinking about this with, uh, Hennepin Avenue. If we could like 
bring in a lawyer to make a credible case, get the city to be like, uh, do we want to get sued? I don't know. We be- we better be careful on this and buy the book and cognizant of our pre-existing policies because these people have a lawyer. So, I've been thinking about yeah. it. So I, I want to look into that issue. It's been at the back of my mind. You know, I know the city has adopted these formal policies around like Whole streets or complete streets, I sometimes mix them complete up. Complete streets, transportation complete streets, action plan, streets. 2040 plan. We've got the street design guide. There's like, exactly. there's like a dozen of them. I just watched the the open house they had today. Because one of the questions I had, and I don't know if they addressed it, but I kind of want to figure it out, is how do you make exemptions from those policies, right? Because they're, they're clear. They're on the books. The city should follow them. Is it permissible for the city council to just be like, well, some businesses complained about this and that's therefore a legitimate reason to block it. I'm not sure. I think you have to find a, a valid exception, but that's what I want to figure out. And maybe, you know, people listening to this already know, but that's kind of what I want to know is if the city council is going to block it, what are they required to, you know, demonstrate um, as a valid rationale? Because in my thought is, right. hey, these policies are on the book. They have to be complied with. And if someone was going to sue to enforce it, it would be another lawsuit like mine where it's a petition for writ of mandamus that was similar to the police lawsuit. Um, that's what they filed to you know, force the city to honor the charter um, requirement to you know, hire X amount of officers per whatever mm-hmm. that ratio, that formula. So, yeah, I mean, someone should be thinking about in, in the community about, you know, what, what happens if the city council, you know, blocks this? What, what is the legal recourse? Make some noise. Do it. I'm all for it. It's probably similar to your lawsuit where the city council elected officials and staff have probably never conceived of a group of activists suing over this stuff as opposed to like a group of NIMBYs suing to stop a building. That's become very routine. <laughs> yes. so like the idea of, uh, you know, safe streets activists suing to like make sure a street reconstruction goes the right way is a very foreign concept. And they probably never thought about all the ways they should like dot their I's and cross their T's to avoid that. Uncharted territory, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping, um, the professional staff over there in public works, like really holds firm. It, it seems like I was skimming Twitter before this and it, it seems like staff are following the rules. It's great. And it seems not only are they following the rules cause that's what they're supposed to do, but it, it appears some of them like are personally enthusiastic and, and passionate about these changes. And to me, that's great. Cause I, you know, d- despite this drama and my conflict with folks in the city, like we, and why we want things to be better, like we should appreciate that we do have a pretty good local government here. You know, things, of course, most of the time, but most of the time. And like a lot of the, the professional staff are great. Like I have no animosity towards any of the planning people that have been involved with this Burger King stuff. And some of them I've definitely sent snarky emails to, but they're all smart. They're all educated. I hold them in high esteem. And it's, it's because like, I respect them and I know they're smart that when I'm getting like what I think is kind of bullshit, it really disappoints me because I feel like they, they know better, you know, but kind of little commentary there, but no, it's like, I, I consider myself kind of 
you know, interested in kind of this grassroots activism, pushing for changes, I believe. And, um, but at the same time, it's like, I, I appreciate all the, the progress that we have made and, and, you know, reasonable enough to understand that, you know, we have it pretty decent here in Minneapolis compared to other things, which maybe is not the greatest thing to say because there's so much like improvement that we could be making. And we look at these pure cities in Europe who are making transformations that are just leaps and bounds beyond what we're doing. But for, I guess, American standards, Minneapolis still, to me, kind of better functioning local government than most places. We, you know what we did? We did 60 minutes on a Burger King drive through on a podcast. I could do eight hours, John. So I'm glad we <laughs> kept it this short. I think to uh, to not intimidate listeners when they see that uh, it's a 60 minute long podcast yes. on a Burger King drive through We're going to end it. Rally call before we end. Please, 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 please send comments in. Um, the sign planner is on the city planning dashboard if you pull that up. Otherwise, I will be creating a Google a Google Doc with talking points. Um, I will post that on my Twitter account. I will tweet that out to Wedge Live, and feel free to copy paste. Just get your comments in before the hearing, please and thank you. Is there a link that I can include in the show uh, notes or something? Um, there isn't yet a formal link from like the city. There, it hasn't been posted yet. It's one of those things like where it's a like, way you know, to contact planners at the city. Yeah, there's an email I can provide that at least, and or a link okay, to the I'll, planning dashboard as well. Okay, I'll do that. All right, thank you, Adam Weisepool. Uh, am I doing that right? Am I got the emphasis it's, in the right it's place? It's Weisepool. You know, years ago, Weisepool. I was I was told by a client that it's Weisepool because it's a Polish name, but we my family goes by Weisepool, so you got it. And thanks for having me. Okay. All right. I'm your host, John Edwards. This has been the Wedge Live Podcast. Thank you for listening. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.